Didn't finish the training course. Got distracted. I'm just not feeling myself. I know it looks... It looks like I'm making excuses. Don't tell me what things look like. Tell me what they are. I think I'm just tired. That's all. General, the Falcon still hasn't arrived. Commander's asking for guidance. I will earn your brother's saber. One day. No, you can't do it for me. Never underestimate a droid. Yes, Master. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone. So pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 407, Believers and Remembering the Rise of Skywalker. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Babu Frick to my C-3PO human cyborg relations, we have Carl LeClaire. Hello, I am Babu Freak. Oh, he's one of my oldest friends. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Jason, thank you for making me Babu. I absolutely love that character. I know. I know you do. And I love him, too. He's fantastic. So, (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So there is is so much going on in the world of Star Wars right now as we record this. Um, Just a few days away from the finale of Season 2 of Mandalorian. Just this past week, we get all these announcements of new TV shows. Uh, as we record tonight, it's the three-year anniversary of Last Jedi. In just a t- few days, five years from Force Awakens, and then a few more days, a year from Rise of Skywalker. So, so much yeah. going on. We decided we wanted to more uh, kind of in the main topic of tonight's show is we want to look at, you know, what does Rise of Skywalker feel like to us one year removed? Um, obviously, there was a lot of uh, sadly divisive. Uh, divisiveness to this movie i think jason and i it's fair to say uh, enjoyed it quite a bit um so this is an opportunity for us to just talk about it um you know what we're thinking about it about a year removed um but of course we want to do another mando watch to look at this past week's incredible episode of mandalorian and we want to hit a little bit um while we don't normally do this but we do want to hit a little bit on the the big tv announcement news that we got just a few days ago Boy, there's a yeah. lot going on. Um, oh man, Carl, it's it's like you know, uh, it's like 2019 all over again. It's just like all of a sudden everything was just you know hitting us. There was so much coming. You know, we had Rise of Skywalker, we had Mandalorian, there was uh, Jedi Knight, Fallen Order. It's you know, it's like Christmas for Star Wars fans all over again right now. <laughs> you said it. Um, man, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a busy week. Um, that is 
<laughs> so <laughs> before we get into all of that content, uh, we ended up changing the matchup. Uh, obviously, last week's episode, we announced a different matchup. We were going to do two scenes from Rise of Skywalker in kind of preparation for this week's episode. Um, but Jason and I were messaging with each other just like a day after we recorded. And I was like, Jason, how about we do this instead? And Jason was like, absolutely. Much better. Yes, <laughs> yes much better. I love it. <laughs> so oh. we, we obviously just in chapter 14 saw Boba Fett wielding a gaffy stick and doing some serious damage. Um, and it made me think of, well, who else is a, like a force to be reckoned with, with a stick? Good old Chira Imwe. Um, uh-huh. So we asked all of you who would win in a fight. And this is a stick fight. So not Boba in his armor. It's Boba with his gaffy stick against Chira. Who would win in that matchup? And Jason, there was a plethora of responses. What did folks have to say? A plethora. Yes, we ended up with 95 people weighing in on this matchup. So thank you, everyone, so much for listening or for, for, for weighing in on the matchup and for contributing to this uh, over Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So thank you. Uh, but the Larians have spoken, uh, and we have 59 for Chira Dimwe and 36 for the Tuscan Boba Fett mm. version. So um, still, you know, fairly close, uh, definitely a bit more one-sided, you know, definitely a clear victory for Chira here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Carl, I'm interested, uh, since you thought up this matchup, how did you see it? panning out i i'll i'll be honest i went back and forth with this so much and as soon as i thought of it i was like i don't know who i who i would pick i mean my immediate response is my favorite character between these two is definitely chirrut i mean i I love chirrut he's one of the most spiritual characters in all of star wars so of course i love him for that um and i've gone back and forth back and forth and i do think uh the folks some of the folks that commented and why they were voting for um, Chirrut, I think we're a little bit too heavy handed with, oh, Chirrut would win so easily. He's one with the force or, oh, he's got the force. He does not have the force, y'all. <laughs> like he's not a Jedi. That's made very clear. He trusts in the force. The force mm-hmm. certainly interacts with him, but he does not have the force. And I stand by that. Um, I think that's what makes his character so compelling is the fact that while he doesn't have the force in the capacity of a Jedi, his faith in the force is something quite powerful. But when yes. you come down to a fight, I got to say, Jason, I give it to Boba. Um, and I hate doing that because I love Chirrut. But watching Boba and the way he the brutality with which he fights, um, Chirrut could probably get some good hits in on him. But Let's not forget, Boba's got some extra padding, as a lot of folks are commenting on. Um, so I think he could bounce. I mean, this man survived a Sarlacc pit. Chirrut can definitely lay down some quick thrusts and hits. But when Boba gets in there, he is just going to overpower little Chirrut. And again, I don't take pleasure in saying that, but I think it's a good fight. But Boba, and I noticed a lot of folks pointing out, you know, this is a this is a fight of kind of finesse versus brute strength. And that's always a great, like, type of matchup. Who wins in those types of fights? Um, you know, and I think at the end of the day, it depends on what's at stake, right? Um, those could certainly matter. But I think if you're just playing on completely neutral ground when it comes to just these two have to fight each other, there's no stakes other than they have to fight. Boba is a survivor in a way that Chirrut is not. 
Chirrut has always had the advantage of being a guardian of the will. He fought with Bays at his side at all times, as well as those other guardians. So he's more used to fighting in community, whereas Boba has always survived on his own. So that's, to me, what gives him the edge. And he's got that brutality that I think would just overpower Chirrut. So I just talked a lot, but I'm giving it to Boba. What do you say? Those are some very compelling points. Um, and I also went back and forth on this one. Um, and I will I will point out to people that some of the quote-unquote extra padding that Boba is sporting <laughs> uh, is, you know, partly muscle, partly giant cloak. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> it's not like he got fat on Tatooine. Um, but uh, I... I Oh man, this this was a tough, tough matchup. Um because Boba was so just brutal. Like it, it wasn't even a, it was not fair. He mm-hmm. did not fight fair and he just tore those stormtroopers apart. Um and it definitely is, as as everyone rightly pointed out, uh finesse versus power mm-hmm. uh in this case. And uh I think, though, I am going to lean the other way, Carl, and give it to Chirrut, simply because this is Chirrut's chosen form of combat, Mm. whereas Boba is much more comfortable in his armor with all of his blasters and gadgets and and other weapons at his disposal. Um, He, Not to say he is not skilled with a gaffy stick, uh, because he certainly is, uh, but this type of combat is Chirrut's forte. He's skilled with his his uh, you know light bow, um, but he prefers the hand to hand combat uh, with with the stick. And he is he has honed himself to be able to not only uh, you know fight very well, and you know he was. Not as brutal as Boba was, but we still saw armor flying when he attacked stormtroopers. Um, but he's also very, you know, you know, tuned his body to be able to see the attacks coming without his eyes. And so I think Boba's attacks being large and powerful might be easier for Chirrut to dodge or deflect, uh, allowing him to create an opening and get in. So that's that's the only reason I give this to Cheerit. Fair enough. And that gives us a final tally here of 60 to 37 uh, for Cheerit over Boba, uh, Tuscan Boba. So, uh, but very, very fun matchup, and I'm super happy that we changed it this time. <laughs> so <laughs> I am too. I am too. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I will say, I will say, uh, one of my favorite comments about this matchup we got on Twitter. Uh, someone said uh, Boba seems to have issues with the visually impaired, so Chirrut wins. Um, it, <laughs> so I, you know, it's funny, and I know I it's not that. you know a, a serious answer, but it cracked me up. So I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate the uh, the humor there, folks. <laughs> That's great. I did not notice that comment. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. 
Awesome. Well, um, we are going to uh, hold off on polls and matchups till the till the start of the new year. And part of that is because, again, next week we are going to be recording a Christmas special episode. Um, and again, we really, really want all of you to to give us some of your stories. So um, we really encourage you in place of a matchup or poll, we want you to just send in a short audio file where you tell us one of your Star Wars Christmas memories. Um, we've only gotten a very few so far, so we really would love some more to play on next week's episode. So if you're listening to this, all you have to do, I mean, you can record this as a voice memo on your phone and email it. You can record it over your computer, whatever. It doesn't need to be high quality, but just email it to us at wampuslayerpodcast at gmail.com and we will play it on next week's show. That's all we ask. Very simple. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We, because Carl and I have talked a lot about our own Christmas memories over the years uh, and we figured this is a good time to get your Christmas memories this time. So switch things up just a little bit. But yes, please do that. We highly encourage it. And we'll be reminding you throughout the week. So, um, but Carl, um, before we jump, jump into our main topic, we, we had some, some big news that we, you know, talked about a little bit. We had a huge list of, of Star Wars projects announced for the the next several years. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of your favorite announcements that we we got? I'm going to be honest. The only one that got me really excited was the fact that Hayden Christensen is going to be back as Darth Vader. Um, I'm I'm probably in a minority camp here, and I don't want to be that curmudgeon-y person, but I felt all I kept thinking after they announced it was. It's overkill, master. <laughs> um, and, and I don't mean to be that, that, that pain in the butt. Um, uh, my, you know, I, I was texting a lot that day with Jim Capron, our, our, good, our good friend. And Jim made a great point of like, he's like, you know, at the end of the day, there's going to be a project in there that someone's going to love. And it's awesome that they have so many to choose from. And I thought that that was a very valid point. So while the majority of these I'm not particularly excited about, um, I will say Hayden Christensen being back in Star Wars makes me so... F- I mean, to be fair, he was back in Rise of Skywalker. I mean, very, very, a very brief voiceover, but um, it's really cool that he's going to be back. That got me really excited. And it's not to say that anything else, like, upset me. Which, which project is he coming back in, Carl? Oh, which project? good old Kenobi. Yes. Um, and here's my thought, is if you're going to cast Hayden Christensen to be back in a series as Darth Vader, I don't see why you would cast him... If there's not going to be some sort of out of costume appearance, whether that's him in his meditation chamber or a potential flashback scene from the Clone Wars, I don't see why you cast Hayden just to be inside of a suit where you never see him. Uh, It's not going to be his voice. Um, I don't know if they'll get James Earl Jones to do it again or what, Um, but why cast him if you're never going to see him? So I really do think we're going to see Hayden Christensen in the flesh in this uh, in this series um i know they've hinted at like we're going to see a rematch like we've that really bothered me i don't want darth vader and obi-wan to fight 10 years before a new hope that makes literally no sense with canon but you know star wars has played fast and loose with canon ever since disney took over so (laughs) um so do what we want with that i guess um i'm sure it'd be really cool um if it fits into the story in some interesting way I'm here for it, so I don't want to be too critical of it. But at the end of the day, 
super excited that Hayden's going to be back in the Kenobi series. I mean, and of course that's, you know, that's also, you know, Kathleen Kennedy saying, you know, this with the rematch of the century is the quote um, in the announcement that he's back. So that could mean anything. And it's just, you know, promotional publicity talk at this point. So until, you know, until we actually get the story, I'm just going to take that for, for, you know, what it is. Um, and and not read too much into it. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I, I should say that when Mandalorian was announced, I wasn't particularly excited. I was like, I don't really care about Mandalorians. Um, so I didn't have high expectations of this show, but my God, have I been <laughs> so blown away. So all that to say, of all of these projects, I am most excited about Kenobi. Um, I'm also quite excited about an Ahsoka series. Um, so at the end of the day, I'm going to give them all a fair shot. I really, I mean, everything we've gotten since Disney has taken over has been high quality. Some of the things haven't worked as well for me as other things, but everything has been high quality. There's a lot of love being poured into every Star Wars project they're doing. So be that as it may, I'm going to, you know, wait and just see. Uh, I don't want to pass any, because we don't know anything about these things other than titles, (laughs) you know? Right. Um, Right. So it's really cool that we're going to have a lot. And And again, I just think it's a reminder that, this is a whole new era of Star Wars, just like the five movies in five years was something new for Star Wars fandom at the beginning of Disney, you know, from 2015 to 2020, well, 2019 mm-hmm. even, we get five movies. That was a whole new thing for Star Wars. Well, now getting all these multiple shows that are going to launch probably interconnectedly in some way, that's something new for Star Wars. So I think um, I can at least speak for myself. I think having come from a period where I had to wait for all the Star Wars projects and you just loved everything because you had to wait so long. Um, I think it's it's an important time as a Star Wars fan just to remember that you don't have to love everything and you can still love Star Wars. You know, some yeah. things are not going to work for you and other things are. You know, Resistance, for instance, was a TV show that I was pleasantly surprised with the first season, but I've yet to still watch the second season. I don't particularly feel inclined to. Um, Same. So, and it's no, no harm, no foul. It, that was a series created for a specific audience and it really worked for them. And that's what matters. So, yeah. It, the interesting thing you mentioned interconnectedness, um, Dave Filoni and John Favreau, you know, obviously are the, the team on Mandalorian. They're also the team on Ahsoka and Rangers of the New Republic. And all of those series are set basically in the same timeline. And so the mm-hmm. one thing I will say is that this is probably building up to some sort of interconnected thing where things have been laid in Mandalorian that are going to pay off in those series, like Thrawn. Mm-hmm. Because Ahsoka's after Thrawn, yep. it appears. So I don't think he's necessarily showing up in Mandalorian now that we've gotten this announcement. So, Absolutely. Um, I will say, though, the big thing, you know, other than Hayden Christensen, the big thing that got my attention um, is the feature film Rogue One. Rogue Squadron. Uh, and it's, yeah, sorry, Rogue Squadron. Sorry. <laughs> we already got Rogue One. <laughs> we already got Rogue One, which is a fantastic... Sorry, cheer it's still in my head. Um, <laughs> but uh, Rogue Squadron, uh, which is set to release Christmas 2023. Mm-hmm. So um, three years from now, basically. And it's got Patty Jenkins um, of Hurt Locker and Wonder Woman fame uh, directing the movie. Now we have no idea other than that. It's going to be, uh, you know, a, a rogue squadron X wing movie, you know, as to what, what's going on in this. So we can assume there will be returning characters and new characters. 
um, in this, this movie. But as someone who has played the hell out of the original Rogue Squadron game and owns all of the X-Wing series books, I am absolutely 100% stoked for <laughs> this. this movie. I, I want this. I want this so bad. So that got me very excited. Um, the other thing, there's only two things that we actually have like dates for. Um, it's that and Andor, which we finally have the official title for the Cassian Andor series, Andor. Uh, and it will be uh, arriving on Disney Plus in 2022. Um, it's, I believe they said, a 12-episode limited series. And production kicked off three weeks ago. So they have officially started production on Andor. So that's exciting. Nice. Too. Yeah. Because so, that was one that almost got canceled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Henry Gilroy jumped in and saved it. So <laughs> the, the writer of one of the writers on Rogue One. So, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, the only other thing that I really wanted to mention right now, because uh, a lot of this stuff looks pretty cool and I'm sure will be cool once we get more information. Uh, the only thing that I'm other, only other thing I'm super excited about at the moment is um, the Acolyte. Mm, yeah. Uh, because it's the high, Rep- it's a high Republic story, mm-hmm. which is the publishing, you know, uh, line that's starting in January with all the, the books and the comics that are about to start coming out that set about 200 years before the Phantom Menace. Um, so that's a high Republic story that we're getting in live action now. And I, that makes me even more excited about this new era of star Wars that we're going to start exploring. So I'm very curious to see how that develops. So that's one I'll be keeping. I'll be keeping my, you know, we'll be watching that career. That shows career with great interest. <laughs> um, <laughs> so but anyway, that's all I've got to say on the matter at the moment. So, yeah, Acolyte sounds really great, and it's um, the only series coming out that's not lumped into the same time frame. This was the only other. I'm sorry to like. I hope, I hope I'm not coming across too negative, but these were just some of my complaints just early on. Is all of these series for them except for Acolyte either fall between episodes three and four or six and seven, and it just it seems like, can we expand into a new world? It's like, I get that you're going to try new types of storytelling, but could you try telling stories in a different era? (laughs) So Acolyte certainly satisfies that appetite of mine. Um, I'm a little disappointed. We still haven't got any confirmation about Ryan Johnson's trilogy. I think he would do a fantastic, like early Jedi series. Um, So, you know, like, again, I don't want to, be too critical of anything that I know nothing about. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I wish they would expand again, just to different periods. Um, I think sad. I'm, I'm just going to own this. Cause I think it's important to say this. I continually, I find myself continually disappointed when they announce new things and we still don't get anything about Han, Luke and Leia post return of the Jedi. Um, obviously I grew up in the nineties. I grew up in that period of the early EU, um, where every story was around those characters. So, you know, I really did grow up with them. I had just those three movies for a long time. So the fact that they just don't ever touch those characters. And again, I'm not saying that they never will. I'm sure eventually they will. Um, but I would just love an animated series similar to Clone Wars following Han, Luke and Leia post return of the Jedi. So obviously that's a very specific desire. 
Um, it's certainly not Lucasfilm and Disney's, you know, prerogative to cater to my singular desire. Um, but I think until (laughs) they they need to, they need to cater only to what you want, sir. (laughs) There'd be a lot of other disappointed Star Wars fans if they did. Um, (laughs) so, but that being said, you know, I just, I, I really wish we could do do something with them. You know, it's it's really cool getting new characters, but if we're going to keep touching these time periods, specifically between you know Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, we're going to do all these new series. It's like, what the heck is a what the heck are Han, Luke, and Leia doing? <laughs> so, and it's and a very fair question. Um, I think my surmising as to why they haven't touched it yet is they don't know what how they want to. Approach casting those characters mm-hmm. at this point um, because you know Carrie Fisher just only recently passed away um, you know just a you know a couple of years ago at this point uh, and Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford are still around so it's like well I mean it's kind of weird kind of recasting younger versions of them but how would we want to do that and I know you know people have fan casted Sebastian Stan as Luke Skywalker a lot, um, you know, uh, online and stuff. So, and Alden Aaron Reich has already played a younger version of Han, but you know, he's playing a version of Han that's younger than Harrison Ford in the movies. So mm-hmm. why, you know, do you just try and age him up a little bit, uh, to bring him in to a post return of the Jedi era, or do you cast somebody else? Who, what do you do? So I think they're probably just trying to fill things up a little bit around the periphery to give themselves time to figure out what they want to do. That's my that's my guess. So I have no basis for that other than, you know, the guess. So sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, time will tell. So it will. Um, <clears throat> speak of time. Yeah. Uh, I had a great time just this past week watching chapter 15 of the Mandalorian, the believer. Yes. Um, oh my goodness. I, I'll be honest. I did not expect the follow. So chapter 14 at this point, Jason, I put that just below chapter two is my favorite Mandalorian episode. I loved the tragedy. It was just such a perfect episode. Um, and so going into 15 and knowing that we were going to re, you know, meet up with uh, Mayfeld, who was not one of my favorite characters from the previous season, um, I wasn't – I was just like, oh, God, what are we going to do with this? Jason, this episode is probably my second or third favorite of the season. Um, it's oh. so good. And the reason I think that it's so good for me is just how much it really – dives deep into what the Mandalorian is willing to do for Grogu, as well as it gave Mayfeld a redemption arc. Something that Star Wars is really good at is taking characters that seem lost and seem so in the dark that there's no bringing them back. And then they bring them back. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love that redemption arc because he turned out to be, you know, a, a terrific character in this episode, like way better than I expected him to be. He was, you know, fine in the last one. Um, but of course he's the one who's, you know, wants to, you know, kind of toy around with Grogu and, you know, mess with 
the Mandalorian, you know, mess with, with Din about all that and his helmet and everything. So um, it was sort of like, oh, how are you going to take that and bring him back, you know? So uh, the the other interesting thing I really loved about this episode was uh, the, the growth um, that we got to see between uh, Mayfeld and Cara Dune mm. and how their relationship played out because obviously he's an Imperial sharpshooter, was an Imperial sharpshooter and she's an, was a rebel shock trooper. So, and how that tension played into things um, and then got resolved at the end. So, mm. yeah, I never actually thought about that, that relationship. Um, that is a great point though, about how they are very, uh, very opposed characters in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. I will say what stood out the most to me, um, well, just in sequential order, I guess. I love Mayfeld's, uh, the way he talks about the child is different from the beginning of the episode to the end. At the beginning, when they, when, you know, uh, Cara Dune is saying they have his kid, the little green guy, you know, that's what he is to Mayfeld at the beginning of the episode, the little green guy. But by the end of the episode, he says to the Mandalorian, good luck getting your kid. Like it, it, it's just like a total humanization of how he understands what Grogu means to the Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, No, it's really, it is really cool. You know, he's, and part of that is because he he sees literally the human side of the Mandalorian in this episode. You know, mm-hmm. he he gets a look inside the mask. You know, uh, of course, he will never claim that he ever did. <laughs> um, so I never saw your face. Um, but uh, he he got inside. You know, and and that was an interesting thing that that humanized humanized you know Din to him, which humanizes in turn Grogu. So, um, and I you know this basically was was a buddy you know buddy heist episode with the two of them, mm-hmm. and everyone else just kind of played supporting you know, backup. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, this was it was a very good episode. Um, I think you know the 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 chase you know to the base was fun. Um, we we got to see the ineffectiveness of stormtrooper armor compared to Mandalorian armor. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, I love how he tries to to block the the hit coming with the the stormtrooper armor and it just shatters and he's like oh that hurts yeah uh, he's like yes oh i can't do this with the stormtrooper armor um like i can with my best car but yeah yeah, yeah. and I, then i forget the the imperial officer's name but the guy that they had to run into valen yeah gosh so good yeah just he, he that whole interaction was amazing that actor played the Night King in Game of Thrones too, um, ah. so he he's he was literally the perfect type of actor to play uh, like just hateful 
demonic imperial officer because that's really what he is. Um, and, you know, I, I, I mean, I think Mayfeld in a lot of ways was a main character of this of this episode. And I think that's what um, Mandalorian does a really good job of is that when it brings in new characters, really letting them shine in the episode. Um, and Mayfeld really gets an arc here. Um, and I love, um, well, it, it, the first thing I want to say that I, I appreciate about Mayfeld is I mean, the, the, the fact that the episode is titled the believer. Um, and I think that that's, that's commenting. That's the believer is the Mando. It's Din Djarin. Um, you know, he's the believer. Um, and in a lot of ways, I mean, I've never been a huge Bill Burr fan just in the, in the real world. Um, I don't think a Boston accent needs to be canonized in Star Wars. And this is coming from a guy who lives in Boston. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I will say Bill Burr in his own like personal life is a very skeptic, skeptical guy. A lot of his comedy is around skepticism. He was the perfect person to cast for this type of character foil for the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian is, as we've learned from uh, chapter 11, he's part of essentially like a, a, an extremist group, a fundamentalist group here within the Mandalorian culture. Um, he mm -hmm. takes his religion, if you will, very seriously. Um, and then you've got this character like Mayfield, who's what he calls, a, he, he says himself, I'm a realist. And, and I love when he says, you know, people that are born on Mandalore believe one thing. If you're born on Alderaan, you believe something else. I remember as a little kid growing up, I mean, I grew up Catholic and, you know, uh, people in my family always saying, well, ca the Catholic religion's the right religion. And I just thought you only think that because you were born that like if you were born Baptist, you'd think that was if you were born Muslim, you'd believe that is. I mean, at the end of the day, there is no fundamental true religion. And I, and I believe that both personally and intellectually. Um, and I love that Bill Burr kind of presents that to the Mandalorian. You know, people are always believing different things, you know, but, you know, there is no, uh, I think what he, he's trying to push back on the Mandalorian is, is there's no, you know, final truth. Um, and I think what this raised to me, the, the, the most important question that this episode raised is, how do you be true to something in spirit rather than in the law? And I'm, I'm using like language from, from Christian scripture here. Um, but you know, there's this, this, um, importance, um, in the language of the prophets from the old Testament that you be faithful to the spirit, not to the, not to the letter of the law, which is to say, you don't think you don't take, um, rituals and, uh, dogma so seriously that they, they, impede on the spirit of what those things are supposed to represent. So for Mandalorian, what is the most important thing? He is a protector. He is a protector of Grogu. Everything else is subservient to that. Well, if your creed says you're not supposed to remove your helmet, well, too damn bad if I have to save the person I'm protecting. Right. Um, and I, and I love that because it raises the question is, is Mandalorian, is Din still a Mandalorian? I think even more so now because he's fulfilling the most the highest order of what it means to be Mandalorian, which is they are protectors. Um, so yeah, I love, I love that conversation they have while they're they're before they get attacked by the, the, the Raiders. Um, you know, they have this great conversation where Mayfeld is trying to push back and say, you know, at the end of the day, whatever makes you sleep at, whatever helps you sleep at night, that's what's important. 
Um, and I think for Din, the question that's raised for him is, can I still be Mandalorian and overstep some of the dogmatic rules that I grew up with? And the answer to me is a resounding yes. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it continues to play out because, you know, that helmet goes right back on after this is all done. So, <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll see how that continues to play out. Um, perhaps, you know, in their private time, mm. he takes his helmet off for Grogu, you know, we'll see. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very interesting episode. Um, I, I will say the action sequences were fun. Oh, yeah. Um, I, absolutely flipped my lid uh when the sonic charge came uh, <laughs> i was so happy i was like oh god please please tell me this is where this is going yes that's where it's going so <laughs> i i will not lie i cheered um because i was like oh this is a perp please i was sitting there crossing my fingers going oh please 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 and yes it happened he still has the sonic charges uh little different effect uh, in atmosphere than uh, outside of atmosphere, but still very good and very familiar. So I was so happy. As soon as the back, that back panel opens on slave one and something, and I was like, Oh God, it's going to be a seismic charge. And then, I mean, I I've watched a lot of attack of the clones in the last few months. The seismic charge, like visual is right in my head. As soon as I saw the bomb, he was expelling. I was like, that's a seismic charge. And then how they oh, yeah. duck this, all the sound, right? It just kind of slowly dims until you get that seismic hit yeah it was so So good good. i was so so happy uh to get that but so good so so good um i even loved uh one of the things that really stood out to me too and i i love the point that you made about um when din is fighting on top of the the tank where he learns how useless imperial armor is Yep. Um, how he still just stands tall. He's ready to just keep fighting. He's going to do what he needs to do to complete this mission. Again, th- for him, there is a desperation to everything he chooses in this episode because yeah. everything he's doing is for getting his his child back. Um, so what I found really interesting is when you know you finally have the, all of these <laughs> raiders charging their thermal detonators and then boom, the TIE fighters show up and the empire comes to the rescue. Mm -hmm. The music in that scene is awesome. And I felt like it played with my emotions so intelligently because this is the empire. They've forever been the bad guys, right? For 40 plus years, the empire has been the bad guys and you get this really beautiful, victorious music as they come to the rescue. And then Mayfeld even says, he goes, never thought you'd be so happy to see a stormtrooper, you know? Um, and then, and, you know, you get, you get the cheering, uh, you yes. know, inside the base afterwards mm-hmm. and everyone's just all like clapping and, you know, cheering and patting them on the shoulders and everything like that. And you're like, this is weird. Yeah. Like, this is very strange yeah. uh, to see it this way. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was right there with you. I was right there with you. The the shot because there's a beautiful musical swell is the is you get um, Fennec Shand and Cara Dune running up the the bluff and you see all these explosions and the music really <laughs> swells at that moment and it just honestly what it made me think of visually was like a bunch of napalm being dropped in like a Vietnam movie 
And mm-hmm. to me, it was kind of a subtle reminder that in 1977, George Lucas was making a point that the empire was the U.S. in Vietnam, um, that they were the imperial forces invading um, a country, wrongfully so. And I really felt like that visual kind of took me back to that reminder of imperial forces colonizing is always the enemy. Um, so I thought it was interesting, though, because in that moment, they are, in a sense, the good guys. They are the ones that we inevitably cheer for with that music. So I just felt like there was a lot of uh, genius to the type of music that Ludwig chooses to score in that moment, because it really, at least for me, it made me like excited about I was like cheering for the Empire for the first time in my life <laughs> because of that music. <laughs> And it, and just, it Yeah, it just made me think like, you know, um, in a way, like they're just looking out for their brethren, but they're kind of wrongfully there, right? They shouldn't really be there, but of course we're going to cheer for them protecting the people that are on their side, right? Um, right. So right. I just thought and then, that was And then we get introduced moment. to the officer and we're yes. like, oh, okay, yeah, this is right. This is why we hate the Empire. So <laughs> <laughs> But it's in that moment with Val and Hess where you see Mayfeld's character come come around and you really learn, you know, yeah. it kind of flushes out why he is where he is in chapter six of the first season. The reason mm-hmm. he, I, and I think the reason he's afraid to go in and be possibly um, called out by Val and Hess is I think he's a defector. Um, I think after Operation Cinder and what he saw in Burning Con, he walked away. You know, he yeah, lost I, his faith in the empire and he walked away. Well, his, he, he said his whole, you know, unit was killed. So he probably just, you know, was like, all right, well, I'll just, you know, list, you know, be listed among the dead here and disappear. So that's, yeah. that's probably what happened. So, yeah. yeah, I will say last thing I want to talk about um, is the message at the end. Oh, I'm Jason. I'm so glad you brought that up because I also wanted to talk about the message at the end. You should see this. Moff Gideon, you have something I want. You may think you have some idea what you are in possession of, but you do not. Soon, he will be back with me. He means more to me than you will ever know. How cool is that? <laughs> That's pretty cool. Oh, man. I, you know, I, I get the sense that Gideon is a little impressed um, with, with the message, uh, but still doesn't think Mando is going to be able to, to stop you know, stop him from doing what he wants to do with Grogu. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely love that message. I'm sorry. We forgot to give spoiler alert at the beginning of our, the Mando watch. I didn't even play the Mando watch thing. I apologize, but (laughs) if you're still here, sorry, (laughs) but you know, it's been out for about a, almost a, well, not quite a week, but enough days. So, um, be that as it may. Um, yeah, the way this, Gosh, the way he delivers these lines too. Um, Pedro Pascal is so freaking brilliant in this episode. Uh, I, I, you know, going back right to the moment when he tries the facial scan with his helmet on, 
it's not even a question. He just takes the helmet off. I think that's huge, huge that he just does that without even really thinking about it. Because again, trust your instincts. Feel, don't think, to quote Qui-Gon Jinn. You have to feel. And what does he feel? Got to save that boy. Um, Mm -hmm. So then at the end, specifically when he says he means more to me than you will ever know, the way he stresses ever, it's just to me, it's, it's, it's a twofold punch. First and foremost, he's also it's really cool. You know, a lot of folks have, have put up the two uh, uh, speeches next to each other. Whenever when when Gideon first gave that speech, he always refers to Grogu as it. It's just yep. an object to him. Right. You know, it it, do, it doesn't matter when the Mandalorian gives the speech. It's always him and he. He has purpose. He has value. He's beloved to the Mandalorian. Um, And when he says he means more to me than you'll ever know, I think that he's really saying is he really loves this kid. And more than that, more than you'll ever know, meaning in a way you'll never know what it costs for me to get here. I freaking removed my helmet. I gave up every creed that I've believed in my entire life to get here. You know, what cost exactly what has cost Mandalorian is in a sense, his entire self understanding of his identity. Um, and I just think that's so beautiful. There's nothing he won't do for Grogu. No, no, there really isn't. And, uh, it's, you know, it's all going to culminate this week. Just a few Maybe. more days. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they got to set up a season three somehow, right? Right. Um, right. That's why. I, I mean, we're getting season three. Yeah. Well, Favreau's already written it. We, we know that. Oh, that's right. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. So right. I don't know when they start shooting, but um, that's a great point, though, Jason, about how like it does need to set up a season three. Uh, that's why I am really nervous that they're not going to get Grogu back. Um, not this epi- not not until next season. What do you think? Um, I think it's possible. Um, I think they might defeat Gideon, but although I don't know, I don't know because there's the Mandalore angle that has to come into play here, you know, with Bo-Katan and and that dark saber, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe they take down his operation, you know, destroy all his dark troopers and stuff. But at the very end, uh, Gideon gets away with the kid, you know, he gets yeah. away with Grogu. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. You, there are so many different ways this could go because I don't know what's coming because we don't know what's coming next. We don't know what season three is going to be about. So, I just I just come back to the fact that Mandalore has to have something to do with this. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe he does defeat Gideon and decides to go return the Darksaber to Bo-Katan. And that starts off season three. Right. Maybe that's what it does. Right. But I don't know. This is this is supposed to be the Empire Strikes Back season. Yes. <laughs> right. So right. So where does that leave us, you know? at the end of the season. So <laughs> that's yeah. the question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Boy, 
a lot of things to wonder about in just a few more days to find out. And then, of course, even in a few more days, I think we're going to we'll get some of our questions answered, but we'll be left with even more. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, like all good Star Wars projects do for us at the end of the Indeed. day. Um, so, oh, boy. Uh, goodness. Well, moving right along. Moving right along. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there is another movie that is uh, just about a year old. Oops. Goodness gracious. I'm sorry. Um, music was really loud. I was trying to cue up some cool Rise of Skywalker music. I screwed up. But anyway, <laughs> Rise of Skywalker will be a year old on December 20th. Obviously, today as we record is three years of Last Jedi and, you know, just couple more days till five years of force awakens. And, and you and I talked a little bit about like, Oh, well, which one should we talk about? <laughs> um, I just said, well, let's just talk about rise of Skywalker. It's been a year, you know, we've done this with some of the other ones a year removed. What did we think? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I think after a year um, and now after, you know, the whole sequel trilogy has been out for over a year, just about over a year. Um, for me personally, I do think at the end of the day, Rise of Skywalker is my favorite of the sequel trilogy. I just have the most fun with it. Um, doesn't mean that I think it's the best film. I think Last Jedi is the best film of the sequel trilogy. Um, but uh, I really like Rise of Skywalker. But uh, when I was kind of sitting down, I, I rewatched it today um, and I was thinking about, all right, well, it's been a year. What do I feel like still works for me? Uh, what do I think works really well? And what are the things that I still don't think works? Um, so I like to start things on a downbeat and then end on an upbeat. Um, okay. So I will. I just want to say this. Here's what I think. Here's what does not continue to work for me with Rise of Skywalker. All of its marketing was all about how this is the final chapter of the Skywalker saga, right? It's going to bring it all to a close. And I remember over a year ago when we were talking about this movie before it came out, you know, we talked about how that's a lot to throw on JJ's shoulders, right? That's a lot to yeah. finish. You, you have to finish this trilogy plus this nine film saga. I don't envy anyone who has to do that story and also have to do it in a short time frame, right? Um, right. They apparently had offered it to Ryan Johnson, but they wouldn't give him any time extensions that he asked for. So Disney was going to push this movie out, come hell or high water. And when you do, when you do crap like that, things are going to suffer, right? You can't force art. Um, but, uh, you know, be that as it may, I think that was the biggest thing is, is in uh, what I was excited about. I was like, wow, this is, this is going to bring the whole saga to a close. And this is the one downbeat I would say is for me, it does not do that. It still continues to not do that. I don't feel like this movie has a different, has a more impactful ending than the end of return of the Jedi return of the Jedi to me is still the perfect ending to a saga. Whereas episode nine, it's kind of a very similar ending. Like it, it's fine, but it doesn't feel like we're in, in a new place. I don't feel that we've really made any substantial progress because at the end of the day, to me, the failure of the sequel trilogy is it just kind of retread the old, the original trilogy. Um, that's not to say that it's crap, throw it out. But um, the way I always describe the sequel trilogy now, as I say, it's, it's a wonderful asterisk. I would say if you really love episodes one through six, watch this. It, they're really fun movies. But for me, I don't think it added anything to the Skywalker saga. So that's to me the kind of where Rise of Skywalker falls short for me. Again, it had a lot to do. <laughs> it was not going to be easy to do that. 
So no. I don't, I'm not blaming it for that reason. I think Disney learned a lot of lessons from the sequel trilogy that will make star Wars even better in the future. Um, but that's to me, the only big downside to it is that I don't feel that it's an adequate conclusion to the Skywalker saga. Um, how do you feel about that? Um, I, I agree with you to some point. Um, although I had an idea about that just popped in my head as you were talking, um, that made me kind of look at it slightly different. I'm trying to process it a little bit, um, as we talk, uh, but I'll bring it up later when we get to, you know, more positive things. Um, but I, I do think, you know, while, while the other star Wars movies definitely, you know, you can't say they, uh, they were completely plotted out, mm-hmm. you know, as they were being made because they weren't right. Uh, I think having a more singular vision plotting it out would have definitely made things clearer and less of a muddle for J.J. Abrams to have to step into with one final movie. Because where things were left at the end of Last Jedi, um, there was a lot of story left to tell. I honestly felt like in some cases, while Last Jedi is a is like you said, it's a fantastic film. Um, it's also the hardest one for me to watch because it's so dense. Um, but I do think it sort of like stops if we're using the original tril- trilogy as a as a metaphor. Sometimes I feel like it kind of stops halfway through Empire. Mm. It doesn't, yeah. you know, finish. It doesn't get us as far down the road. And I think part of that is the the fault of the the time gap between um, Force Awakens and Last Jedi, you know, being days, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. um, rather than months or a year or more, uh, like we've had with the other movies and stuff like that. And I, I do think you would have put yourself in a much better situation uh, if you had more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these and but so because of that I feel like it didn't necessarily uh, in some ways definitely in the character arcs it kind of it kind of completes things but in terms of where things stand between the the greater story between the first order and uh, the the resistance things kind of stop after the battle at the beginning of the movie like there's no progression really um, in many cases, and I feel like that kind of hurt where the rise of Skywalker had to start, uh, because they kind of, you know, they were kind of just thrown into things, and in some ways, and I think I f- it does feel a little haphazard at times because it's trying to do so many things all at once, mm. and I do think part of that is just because there's no singular thought you know, kind of thought line progressing through the whole trilogy. It's, you know, various people doing the first one, then different people doing the second one, and then, you know, kind of coming back to do the third. And while there's definitely some continuity and, you know, communication between the different groups, um, you know, back and forth, it still is, you know, a lot. Yeah. So, and and, and so that's, I, I do think sometimes the rise of Skywalker comes up across a little bit haphazard, a little bit scatterbrained because it has to do so much. 
Um, I will say the, uh, this, while I love the characters that we meet there, the side venture to Kajimi, um, seems a bit, uh, a bit manufactured as mm. a different point to me that, um, you know, extends the movie again. Yeah. Uh, it gives us the other, uh, you know, confrontation between Ray and Kylo where he can confront her and, and reveal her heritage. Um, but the, the, how they get there with 3PO seems very kind of, eh, it, that seems a bit, and the, the plot device to get there is, is what I have the issue with the characterization and everything that happens and, and 3PO's, you know, antics all work for me, you know, what they do works for me. It's the device that gets them there that kind of is like, really? That's how we're getting here, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that was one of the things I was, I, you know, I watched The Rise of Skywalker um, last night and then finished it today uh, before we recorded. And that was sort of one of the things I was like, okay, that's, that's a bit much. Uh, I do like the sort of hunt for these these things and the the treasure hunt uh but it is sort of a lot of one thing after another after another you know the little pieces along the way and in a movie this big sometimes they need to be condensed a bit yeah yeah so, ab- absolutely kajimi is where that movie always just slows to kind of a crawl for me um right and, and a lot of people comment about how fast rise of skywalker is at the ultimately and personally i love that it kind of recaptures the pulp action adventure serial series of the original star Wars movie, right? The the first star Wars in 1977 was considered a very fast movie. Yes. in a modern audience, it's, it's got its slow parts, but for its day, mm-hmm. it was a lightning speed type of movie. And I really appreciate how rise of Skywalker kind of captures that, that storytelling flow again. Um, but yeah, Kajimi, it's like, we get there. I like that. It's a cold planet because it freezes me up every time I watch that movie. <laughs> um, it butchers Poe's backstory. I will say, um, right. Like this movie is predominantly about Kylo and Ray at this, at the end of the day. Um, which is mm-hmm. why I like rise of Skywalker so much. Cause I love Ray's story in this and we'll get into that in a minute. Um, and I love what they do with Kylo slash Ben in the movie, but yes, you know, uh, John Boyega was very honest in his, his, interview his big interview that he had you know over the summer where he said i feel like they did nothing with my character they butchered my character and he even says they butchered him in last jedi um and uh you know i think that that's a very fair assessment both poe and finn don't really get much flushing out i actually like finn's backstory more about the fact that he at least meets another former stormtrooper and they they join forces but poe being an old spice smuggler makes literally no sense. It's just so stupid. Um, I, I've always, I've always said that what have been, what have been, what would have been much more sensible was if Zori bliss and her gang were kind of these political extremists where like Poe was very involved with the politics of the galaxy. He hated this rising first order and he was part of this kind of militant group, but then saw as being a little too extreme, which is why he goes to the resistance, but him just being part of like a, crime gang makes literally no sense i would have preferred if he was some sort of racer because we mm. you know that's you know and he would have met han 
Yeah. And that's how he made the connection. That's between, really you know, cool. Yeah. The, the relationship connection between, you know, to, to Leia and the resistance. And that's how they met. Like he was on the racing circuit and, and met Han and that sort of thing. And Zori bliss and the others are, are just part of that circuit, you know, sort of the, the under the CD underside of the, the racing circuit. Um, and that's how he knows them. That would have been so much easier to just throw yes. that in there. That'd have been so cool. Uh, and, and, you know, because we already know that's part of what Han did yeah. after yeah. Return of the Jedi is right. he went back to the racing circuit. Um, so uh, that was uh, talked about a lot in Bloodline. Um, yep. And, and some of the other people that came to the resistance came through that racing circuit, if I recall correctly. Um, I'd have to go back and read the book again, but um, yeah, it's, I think that would have made a lot more sense for his backstory. Um, but, you know, it, it's basically saying he's our, our Han Solo of this trilogy is what they're doing with that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, I mean, it's important to remember if you look at like considering how much the sequel trilogy really does mirror the originals, because I, I don't think it does too much with the prequels, sadly, because the prequels are much more brilliant storytelling movies in my opinion than the sequels um but if you think about it in, in return of the jedi who is this story who's the most fleshed out part of that story well it's luke han mm-hmm. and leia we don't we don't get anything about we don't need anything about their past the fact that they felt inclined to bring in something about poe and finn's past i think was more so because i think one of the themes of rise of skywalker and i like this theme which is making peace with your past i mean it's ultimately for ben and ray to do but it's also for um, Poe and Finn as well. So I like that theme. I just think it could have been better executed. Um, that's all. Yeah, I so. agree. Um, but like I said, there was so much that had to be crammed into this movie. Yes. That just didn't have the ability to do it all or do it all well. Yeah. And honestly, that's, I, I, that will be my, my continuous criticism of this movie no matter how much I enjoy it. Yeah. You know, um, I want to, I want to put you on the hot seat because I want to force you to answer this question because I, I gave my answer. (laughs) Okay. Um, and, and I, and I invite all of you listening to answer this question honestly too, because I I don't think there's a wrong answer and I don't think there's a right answer. I think there's just a, what's true for you. Do you feel like now that, do you feel like rise of Skywalker wrapped up the Skywalker saga? Did it add anything to wrapping up the Skywalker saga for you? Okay, here's where my thought from earlier might come into play. I'm going to say yes and no. Um, because here's why. Uh, the original trilogy, I honestly think The Rise of Skywalker, while it is definitely modeled after the original trilogy, um, you know, the, the, the sequel trilogy, uh, I do think... The Rise of Skywalker has more to do with the prequels than the originals. That's true. Because it policy. does have a lot. To, yeah, it does have a lot of tie to Revenge of the Sith specifically. And so what I think is going on, you've got the original trilogy, which brings the Skywalker characters, the, 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 the personal journey of, you know, Vader, uh, Obi-Wan and, and, you know, Luke and Leia and all that stuff to, to a conclusion. But we still have sort of the larger duel of the fates, so to speak, 
unresolved in a sense. And that is part of what the sequels and Rise of Skywalker in particular tries to close up um, in terms of Palpatine and how the Skywalker line is still involved in that. Hmm. Uh, and that was kind of the thought that popped into my head while we were talking. And so I still haven't had a chance to like fully process and see if that works, if there's connections like that. Um, so I, I feel like the rise of Skywalker in particular is reaching farther back than anything else. Um, yeah. While, while the, the story and how it's, it's plotted out is very, very much, you know, in the vein of a return of the Jedi, I feel like the issues that it's dealing with don't necessarily connect back to the Skywalkers in particular. It's more about the Jedi and Sith in general from the Phantom Menace era hmm. and the Clone Wars era and the greater conflict that was happening behind the scenes is now being brought to a head here. And that's where I kind of feel like, so in a sense, no, because the characters kind of just peter out, you know, and, and Ray Skywalker is, is, you know, a new Skywalker now. And so her story still has to go on, um, somehow. And I, I think there's, I would honestly love to to follow her journey, you know, somewhere in the future. Uh, obviously, the Skywalker saga is not going to happen uh, mm -hmm. more, but I'm sure we'll get future stories with Ray in some form or another down the road. But I think the nine film saga is technically kind of brought to a head. Um, I won't say a resolution, but it's brought to a head. Hmm. Um, and, and sort of, um, a culmination. I'm not sure if it's a resolution yet, but it's, it's brought to a focal point. So I don't, like I said, I'm still processing that thought, um, and trying to figure out how that works if it does. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's, that's, but that's a great point. Um, because I do think, I mean, bringing Palpatine back, I, I will say, uh, so at the end of the day, the sequel trilogy to me falls short because of Force Awakens, first and foremost. And I know tons of people love that movie, and that's fine. It's five years later, it's my least favorite Star Wars movie. Um, and, and the reason is, is because it did nothing new. And I think that's the, that's where the sequel trilogy failed, was in Force Awakens. Afterwards, it was just trying to to resolve uh, a played out story in some ways. Force Awakens should have been. I, should, I don't want to say that. Whenever you say should have been, it means that you're an authority figure on something that no one's an authority on. What <laughs> I would have preferred, what I would have preferred, is if at least the sequel trilogy was the story of just some new unknown enemy. Like I'm not a huge fan of the Yuuzhan Vong from the New Jedi Order series. But I think even at that time in the late 90s, early 2000s, the EU understood that, my God, we've been telling stories about the Empire resurgent for 25 years. We need something new. And that's mm -hmm. where the Eugen Vong came from. And I think that was a really smart choice. While I didn't particularly love them as, as villains, I loved the idea. And I'm not saying that The Force Awakens should have had the Eugen Vong, but it would have been cool to just have something new rather than the Empire 2.0. Um, and I think that was, and that's why like when you get the emperor back, 
Um, this is JJ's and Chris Terrio's understanding of, well, like, well, here's how we bring them, you know, the, the Skywalker story has ultimately always been the story of the Skywalkers and Palpatine. It's like, not really. <laughs> I mean, like, it, I guess. <laughs> so, um, but I, I think, so like, while I don't know if we'll ever get the specifics of what George Lucas was kind of thinking about for the pre, the sequel trilogy. Um, I mean, we've seen some things leaked out. Some of them I think are doctored to what people or just assuming what? yes, what they yeah. want. <laughs> um, but I do think that what he would have done was, is this was the story of a continuing generation and, and a new fight. So the, the original trilogy ends with bringing balance to the force. The empire's dead. And, and I remember I wrote, I wrote a blog post on our podcast over six years ago. Now, when we first heard that uh, seven, eight, nine, were going to happen where I wrote, I think the sequel trilogy will be brilliant from a standpoint of the prequel trilogy is how the good went bad. So how darkness conquered the light. The original trilogy is how the light kind of reemerged out of the darkness. And I felt like the sequel trilogy should have been a story of how does the light now stand up to an impending darkness? Um, you know, how does it not slip back into darkness itself? And um, again, these are just broad generalizations. I don't think that the sequel trilogy did that at all. It just said, Hey, here's the empire again. And you didn't fix what you thought you fixed. <laughs> so, and I think that's why a lot of, a lot of fans really had issues with all sorts of the sequel trilogy, not just last Jedi or rise of Skywalker, but either one, it's like, ah, oh, man, everything. It felt like the happily ever after that they took away from us <laughs> with the sequel trilogy, I think just really sticks in a lot of people's craw. Um, and I think that that's valid. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, that being said, um, what <laughs> I, the, to me, my favorite part of rise of Skywalker, the reason Ray Ray is one of my favorite star Wars characters is because of this movie. I liked Ray in force awakens. I liked her a little bit more in last Jedi, but I fell in love with her in rise of Skywalker. Um, and ultimately her story of someone who has to deal with the horror of her past finding out kind of the truth of where she comes from and being so disappointed by that and then choosing to take on a name that was never hers to begin with. That's why I love this movie. Um, I know there are a lot of people that don't like Ray Skywalker and that's fine. And there are a lot of good reasons for why you don't like that, but here's why I love it. Um, and, and this was something I actually talked about a while back when I did a, I did an episode on our podcast, even though it wasn't about star Wars, but I, kind of told my own personal religious journey in the last few years where how I found the Episcopal church. And again, I grew up Catholic. Um, and I ultimately, when I, when I watched rise of Skywalker, those first, that first month that was out every time she says Ray Skywalker, I saw myself in that character saying that even though I didn't come from this new tradition, I was claiming it for my own. And I felt that I belonged there. And that's what I loved about Ray Ray taking the name Skywalker isn't about like, oh, she thinks Luke and Leia are parents necessarily, but she understands who the Skywalkers are and what they meant to the galaxy, what the Force called the Skywalkers to be, and she's embodying that. She's choosing to embody that, even if she, even if it's not technically her name, she gets to choose it, and that's why I love this movie so much, is because of what it does with Rey. Well, yeah, and I, I love this too. Um, I, I will just say, in, as a general point. This movie has aged well for me over the last year. In spite of all the, the issues that I've talked about already, um, 
this movie has aged quite well for me. Uh, watching it, you know, yesterday and today, I was like, I like this a lot more than I thought I did. You know, you know. So it, it's, I think part of that is just having a year to adjust and accept some of the the things that it brought and some of the you know the twists that we got like Ray Palpatine and stuff like that which you know I was not in favor of mm-hmm. you know initially um it caught me off guard and I was like okay I'm going to have to figure out how to deal with this um however I love it now I think I the the, the Palpatine connection um to Ray and and here's my thing. Palpatine in this movie, I think there's enough in there to say he's not really the Palpatine of old. He is sort of a, 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 a hodgepodged together dark side vessel at this point. Um, and, and he's sort of being animated by the memories of Palpatine. Uh, because he's called the one Sith when he's, you know, re- fully reborn at the end. You know, uh, that's the, the title that they've gave, given him. Um, that being said, I think linking Ray in with Palpatine is a very interesting move because it forces her, as someone who has never had a family name, something they bring back, you know, at the beginning with, with the, the trip to... Um, Pasana. Pasana, thank you. I called it. I almost called it Jakku or Jeddah, and I knew that wasn't right. Um, Pasana, uh, the fact that she is now forced to accept or reject her heritage when being when presented with it uh, is interesting. Uh, you know, it's, it's so so. It's like, all right, so here's where you come from. And while Luke was desperate to find that and desperate to reconnect with who his father was, Ray has to go, I don't like this. You know, this is not, you know, what I want. And am I able to, to say no? Like, can I fight this? Um, you know, she's, you know, does does this name and and who this person was mean that I am now on a trajectory that I don't want to be? Especially considering the vision that she has at the beginning, which, by the way, Disney Plus has her sitting on that throne in the vision, just so you know, um, that she has at the beginning of her on the throne. It, it is she is on the throne as the Empress, um, at the beginning of on the Disney Plus version of this movie. So, um, wait, what? Cause I don't, yeah, like there, there's the, you know, she's got the vision going on and we see the, the throne of the Sith and she's in there now. Really? In like, it's like a real quick flash, but she's there sitting on the throne. Um, like it's less than a second or two. Um, but I, I had to go back like three times watching it last night going, wait, wait, what? Yeah, she's in there. Um, so she says it now, and now they, they actually put it back in for Disney+. Plus. So there's technically a special edition of The Rise of Skywalker out there, folks. Uh, they're just not calling it that. So, Oh, my gosh. Um, I never 
Oh, I'm I'm literally watching this right now because I don't. Oh shoot! Yeah, there it is. Oh crap! If you yeah. want to know, it's at 12 minutes 24 seconds. In case you want to queue it up yourself. But yes, that was definitely not there in theaters. That's awesome. I don't know how I missed this. Good call, Jason. Yeah, you're you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so she's seen that. She has the the information that she is a Palpatine. Is she destined to become that? You know, she has the vision of fighting herself when she gets the wayfinder. Can she deny that? And if she does, who does that make her? And she does. And she decides who she wants to be. And that is why her becoming Ray Skywalker is such a very powerful thing to me because she is deciding who she is Mm. uh, and deciding that her past doesn't define her and she can go into the future with her head held high uh, because of who she chooses to be. Mm. So, Oh my God, Jason, you just blew. I don't know. I've watched this movie so many times since it's been on Disney plus and I've never noticed that. Um, so thank you. I'm because so, obviously I'd seen the deleted scene pictures of her sitting on that throne. But yeah, if you want to cue it up yourself again, about twelve minutes twenty four seconds. It's it's all of like a second, but you do mm-hmm. see her sitting on that throne. And I always thought it was weird that like she tells Finn that she saw herself there, but we didn't actually see her there. Like we saw her see the throne, but we didn't see her on the throne. Right. Um, but I'm glad that you brought this up because again, like uh, to your point that you made earlier, I do feel like. Rise of Skywalker, to me, the movie it ties in with most from the previous from the rest of the saga is episode three. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think that this is a great example of that. The fact that both Rey and Anakin are haunted by visions um, in those movies. Right. Anakin obviously has the vision of Padme dying and and childbirth. And now we see Rey having this vision of her sitting on the throne. Um, She does say that she was sitting there with Kylo. I think it would have been neat to see him sitting next to her, but that's still it's closer than just the empty throne. Um, <laughs> but right. It does. It grapples with the question of the same question Anakin had, which is what do you do uh, when you're, when you get this vision of the future, how do you, how do you prevent it? And one of the things, um, so one of my, one of my friends absolutely loves Ray even more than I do, which I didn't think was possible. Um, actually, that's not true. I'm sure there's a lot of people that love her more than I do. Um, but, it, and he loves Rise of Skywalker, which is just really funny because he's such like a film buff and a bit of a film snob and Rise of Skywalker. I don't think a lot of film like <laughs> hot upper echelon film people really praise Rise of Skywalker. So I've always been so impressed that this friend of mine really loves this movie, um, but it's because of his love for Ray. And he, mm-hmm. he pointed out to me, he, he was over here right before the pandemic hit. He came over and we were watching it together, just the two of us. And he, I was just, he was just kind of giving me his commentary during the whole movie, which was phenomenal. And he made this great point. He goes, you know, to me, Ray is what Anakin could have been had he not been trained as a Jedi. Um, and I was like, wow, that's a great point. And, you know, I think the way they respond to these visions. So what does Anakin do? He kind of closes in on himself and I have to be the one to fix this. I have to prevent it and I'll do whatever it takes, no matter how evil. Whereas Ray's response, when I love that scene with her and Finn and Finn, she's like, Finn, there's things about me you don't know. And he goes, well, then tell me. And she tells him, you know, um, it, when she's about to leave for Pisana, she wants it's too dangerous. I have to go alone. Yeah. Alone with friends. This is the difference between Rey and Anakin, 
Whereas yeah. Anakin closes in on himself, you know, what about, you know, Padme says, what about Obi-Wan? Maybe he can help. We don't need his help, right? He's right. so egocentric. He's so headstrong that he's got to figure this out. It has to be on him. He's so self-reliant. And what's interesting is both Anakin and Ray are self-reliant characters based on their past. Anakin was raised as a slave. Ray grew up as a nobody, as a scavenger. They're incredibly self-reliant characters. The difference is, is that Ray lets people in. Ray lets people join her on her journey. And I think that's why she has a much different turnout. And even when Ray runs away from her fear and goes to Octo and Luke shows up and he just called, he says, listen, you've got to face your fear because that's, you're a Jedi and that's what Jedi do. They have to face their fear. Um, whereas Anakin didn't face his fear. He tried to prevent his fear from happening and inadvertently caused it. Whereas Ray does confront her fear. Hey, you saw that. That was one possible future. But you can choose differently. And she goes and chooses differently. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, that's that's really great because she she does make the choice. She gets to choose. And she chooses a different future for herself. Um even in the aftermath by choosing the name Skywalker to bring it back to, to that point. Um, which is why I love the, the epilogue scene in this movie. Mm. I, I absolutely love her trip to Tatooine. Yes. It's a little bit fan servicey because this is where it's all began, but it also makes sense uh, because there's no Alderaan to go to, 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 to pay homage to Luke and Leia. Um, this is where Luke grew up. This is where Anakin grew up on the same planet. Uh, you know, what, is she going to go to Polis Mesa? And, <laughs> you know, stick the, the sabers in a crack in the asteroid? Is that what she's going to do? No, that's weird. I mean, and it's a mining asteroid, so the asteroid's probably pretty much mined all the way through and gone so this is where she goes to honor them to to put them to rest and to move forward so um which i think is beautiful the only thing i would have changed is to have ben show up in the force vision there too yes um, absolutely the only thing i would have changed yeah is to have him show up because i feel like you know especially since he disappears he needed to he needed to be there absolutely so, and hopefully we'll get a special edition where he is yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love that scene too. Again, it's, it's this burying of the past and, and it's the first time on Tatooine where we get uh, a rising sun as opposed to setting suns. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, you know, um, uh, I think, you know, I think one of the, the big things that Ray does in the movie as well is she's a healer. Um, and I think this is something uh, really integral to her character is everything she touches, she heals, you know, I mean, all the way back to, you know, uh, when they're in the the caves in, on Pasana, when she heals the snake, uh, I can't remember what it's called, um, something with a V, I want to say, but um, give me one second. Sure. I will look it up. <laughs> But, you know, she sees something wounded, so she touches it and heals it. Um, And then she does the same thing for Ben, and Ben learns the same thing for her. Uh, 
so much of this movie is about healing the past. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways, Ray, Ray offers a healing for the Jedi as well. Um, she offers a healing for the Jedi because the Jedi of the prequels fell because of their dogmatic ways. The fact that they were just so out of touch with the living force caused them to fall. And then Luke ultimately fails because in a lot of ways it sounded like he was trying to rebuild what already hadn't worked. Um, and he got, and he got afraid of a vision he saw just like his grandfather, or excuse me, just like his father. Right. So it kind of corrupts that as well. But Ray is someone who is just connected to the force so deeply and inherently just like Anakin was, but hasn't had the dogmatic pragmatism of an order to interrupt that, that connection. Um, and probably one of the most powerful scenes to me in this movie is when she has that connection to the Jedi who have gone before at the end, you know, when she's, when all is seemingly lost, Palpatine's back full forced, more powerful than ever. Ray is laying there on the floor beaten and she just returns to this. You, you got the answer. I can see it. Yes. It's a Vexus snake. Thank you. Vex. I knew it was with a V. <laughs> um, but you know, when, when Ray's there kind of counted out, she goes back to that chant. And I, and I love that of her at the beginning of the movie, be with me, be with me, you know, just seeking, I think more than anything, um, the be with me isn't so much because she needs them to tell her exactly what to do, but she really needs that confirmation that she is a Jedi, that she is doing the right thing because she's operating. And I think it's really cool that Ahsoka is one of the voices that she hears because Ahsoka, you know, even in chapter 13 of Mandalorian, I think is very much a Jedi, (laughs) um, even though the order has fallen. I think Ray is really needing that confirmation that she is a Jedi, that everything she's worked towards hasn't, you know, hasn't failed. And this scene is just so powerful. Bring back the battle. Oops. Didn't go back. Back here. Here we go. These are your final steps, Ray. Rise and take them. Ray. 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 Bring back the balance, Ray, as I did. In the night, find the light, Ray. Every Jedi who ever lived lives in you. The Force surrounds you, Ray. Let it guide you. Let it guide us. Feel the Force flowing through you, Ray. Let it lift you. Rise, Ray. We stand behind you, Ray. Ray. Rise in the Force. In the heart of a Jedi lies her strength. Rise, rise. Ray, the Force will be with you. that scene so much it is my favorite scene in the entire movie um i cannot express how much i love it uh it's it's like how the ray calling the saber to her in the snows of circular base in uh 
the, the force awakens is my favorite moment in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's no, there's nothing else that, that rises to this level uh, in either of those movies for me for than those moments. So th- this is, you know, the force chooses her in the force awakens with that saber call. And then this is where it confirms everything for her. Yes. That she is the Jedi right now. She is, she is a Jedi and that she walks in the path of all the Jedi before her and they are there with her in spirit. Um, yes, exactly. It is absolutely incredible. Uh, the only thing is they did it in the trailer, but they didn't do it in the movie is that I would have loved Leia to have said something. Yes. Yes. I'm with you there. Luke should have said the force will be with you. And then Leia should have said always, Yes, I agree. I um, 100% agree. Yeah. Uh, but that's, you know, it's a little quibble uh, because we, you know, we got her obviously, you know, training Leia or training Ray earlier in the movie, which is fantastic. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and of course, Leia hadn't, I guess the reason why she didn't is Leia hadn't fully let go mm-hmm. because she was still, she was her, her body was still there and wasn't one with the force yet. So that's probably the, yeah. the story reason why. Right. She didn't. Right. You know, wasn't um, in that. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that scene so much because it is, it's the most explicitly incarnate the force has ever been. <laughs> you know, um, this is the Jedi who are now one with the force in a very mystical way. And they're breaking through uh, the, the mundane world's wall to speak to Ray and to tell her, exactly who she is and and remind her exactly the path she's on is, is the right one. Um, and I don't know if you've seen this, Jason, but somebody made a fan edit where when she stands up, then you get like the, somebody put in like all the force ghosts standing behind her with their hands lifted. Um, Mm -hmm. I really, it's stupid in my opinion. And I'm sorry to whoever, whoever made it. It is, it is really well made. I will say that like they did a great job making it look really good. But again, that is another moment. And this movie, Rise of Skywalker, has a lot of nostalgia in it. And, and a lot of it works really well. This would have been such a detriment to this moment. Hearing the voices, to me, is all you needed. And to me, it's perfect. Because this moment isn't about them. It's about Rey. This yeah. is who this moment is about. They are confirming and affirming Rey. We don't need to see Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka standing behind her. They've done what they needed to do. This moment is about Ray. They're there to lift her up, not to do anything other than that. Um, Cause that's all she needs. Um, mm. So I love it as it is. Um, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, and again, like kind of a point you made earlier on in the, in our discussion is I think that the prequels are kind of this macro story where we do have, yeah. The big galactic picture, whereas and then the original trilogy is a much more personal story. Um, and mm-hmm. then the sequels, um, it's, I should say more so just Rise of Skywalker. I don't think Force Awakens and Last Jedi really do this. But Rise oh. of Skywalker really does zoom out again and kind of give you that big galactic yeah. picture. Um, yeah. it, start, it starts small. It starts off very personal in Force Awakens, like almost mm, too personal. Yes. Uh, but we, it's like got blinders to what's happening around it almost. Um, you, that kind of slide back a little bit in last Jedi. And then it, it zooms, like you said, way out to yeah. more of a macro view of things, uh, in 
and Rise of Skywalker. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's a great, great uh, pickup there. And I think it does that with the Force too, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the Force, it go all the way back to Phantom Menace. How is the Force involved? Well, uh, it, it, the Force is aware that the it's coming out of balance because of Sidious and this mm-hmm. terrible dark side user. So in comes this chosen one character in Anakin and the force is going to interject itself. Well, when the force kind of falls back out of balance with the Sidious around again in some twisted, demented way, how does it answer it? Well, the Skywalker lineage has been corrupted once again. So what does the force do? And I do think while at the end of the day, I still don't love that raise of Palpatine. I think you made some great points of why it works. And this is a great way it works as well is how better to get back at the manipulations of Palpatine on the force than the force tapping one of his own descendants to be his undoing, you know, um, mm-hmm. Ray. And, and, um, I would disagree with, and I disagreed quite, quite heatedly with some friends of mine a week ago who really seemed to despise Ray. And it drives me crazy because I absolutely love her. Um, and, uh, they want to say, Oh, well, she just completely erases everything Anakin did, which I think is absolute BS. Um, and it's also a really good reminder that we always need new chosen ones. Yes. Anakin was the chosen one and Ray doesn't take that away at all. Um, you know, she's just, she's kind of a new person to rise up and fix the new problem. And that's the one that she's the one that the force taps. And again, she's the most unlikely person. And that's what I love about her. Anakin in the prequels is the most unlikely person to fix the Phantom Menace because he's a slave boy from Tatooine. Luke Skywalker in his trilogy is the least likely solution to this big, terrible threat in Darth Vader. He's a nobody from a farm planet. Now you have this new character, a nobody scavenger from a backward planet. And this is who the force continues to tap. Um, and And I love that theme that runs through all three trilogies. Yeah. No, that, that's and that's the thing. You know, it, it it always takes someone who is completely unlikely and thrusts them into the middle of uh, the the galactic events and says, "You're the hero." You know, and it and it's you know, Anakin was dreaming of doing that kind of thing and got caught up in the undertow of what he you know thought he wanted. Luke wanted to go out on the adventure and found a redemption story and reconnection with his father. Ray didn't want to be involved at all, mm-hmm. but was, you know, directed and led to be, no, you are, you are it. You are the one to do this, you know? So they each have their own unique twist to it. Um, but they are, they all start, at very much the same spot, you know, and, you know, and to your friend's point, I will say this movie tells us that Anakin was the chosen one yet again, because he says, bring balance to the force as I did, you know, this is like, Hey, he is the chosen one. So, but in a sense, each of the, these characters is the chosen one of their own trilogy. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, there's the larger chosen one, but then there's the story specific chosen ones uh, as they continue to, you know, go along their own journeys. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 
And that's, you know, kind of the layers that the stories play with anyways. The mm-hmm. rhyming beats, as <laughs> John and George Lucas have said many times before. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think so, you know, a year later, I the, the, the stuff that really holds for me is that I love this this Ray Skywalker story. I love the movie for that reason. Um, it, it, again, like I, I'll say at the end of the day, it doesn't really bring any sort of solid conclusion to the story. Um, but is a, it's a, just a fantastic character. So it's a fantastic character piece. And I think if I'm, that's why, so solo is my second favorite Star Wars movie because of what it does with Han's character, the way it just tells this wonderful character story. That's the reason I love Rise of Skywalker is I almost love it divorced from the sequel trilogy and even the Skywalker saga. It's just a great story about a great character in Rey. Um, And that's why I love this movie. Everything else is like there and some of it's really cool. Like Kylo's redemption is fantastic. That moment with Han Solo is still beautiful to me. I love that moment so much. Um, It's the perfect it's exactly what he needs for his redemption. He needs to forgive himself for what he did in force awakens. And the only way he can do that is to confront his father, even if it is just in memory um, and understand that his father loves him even through that bad decision he made. And Kylo finally can forgive himself and, and return to being Ben Solo. Um, So like, that's a fantastic part of this story too. Um, I will say, you know, the, the end there where he comes back, um, you know, after being thrown down the hole by, by Palpatine and he comes back and saves Ray. My thought was, you know, Ray gave everything to save the galaxy and Ben gave everything to save Ray. Mm-hmm. So, which I thought was a really nice little uh, juxtaposition of the two of them. So because all Kylo wanted was the galaxy. Um, but in order to overcome that and to fulfill his redemption, he gives everything for one person. Mm-hmm. Ray didn't want to have anything to do with the galaxy at large, but she stepped into her role and saved the whole galaxy. And I think that's a really kind of a fun, you know, an interesting little juxtaposition that happened there at the end is she gives everything to save the galaxy that she didn't want anything to do with. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be left alone. And then he has to, you know, bring everything down from, I want this whole thing to, I need to care about this one person. And he gives everything to save her. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a really fun, a really nice little moment yeah. there at the end. So yeah. that was something that, that struck me as I was watching it, finishing it up today. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's a great point. Um, and, you know, the closing battle, um, <clears throat> you know, I I remember, you know, when Katie was on the show with us there, um, you know, one of the things she really wanted to see is, is how do we break the cycle of violence? You know, that, that Star Wars has, you know, that, that you, you go from the Clone Wars into a galactic civil war, and now we seem to be back in another war again. Um, fighting a very similar fight. So, you know, I, I love the, qu- the question Katie posed before this movie came out, which is, you know, what, how is Rise of Skywalker going to answer that question? How do we break this, this cycle? Um, and, and, and 
I will say again, I don't, I don't think that it has an adequate answer, but I think the way it attempts to answer it, and it's just, it needs to be more flushed out and here's why it fails. But the fact that you, you know, that massive fleet that shows up, you know, it's not a fleet, it's just people, um, you know, I think is, is wonderful when we get those, you know, yes, the nostalgic scenes of over Endor and Bespin and then Jakku. I do think what we're seeing though is resistance forces throughout the galaxy rising up because the store, the star destroyers that are being taken down in those scenes are first order star destroyers. So I think mm-hmm. again, just visually they're telling us that yes, the first order is still big and out there, but now you have forces all over the galaxy uniting. And that's not something that happened in return of the Jedi, right? You have the rebel army against the, the empire army, boom, they win, but you don't have this galactic front. And I do think that the end of rise of Skywalker, it, it does kind of ham fisted in there for us. So again, it's not very well explained. I still think that, you know, how did Lando mobilize everybody? I think there's a missed opportunity there with something about Luke's example at the end of last Jedi. Cause that, that's silly that it doesn't really get fleshed out a bit. I mean, what Luke does at the end of last Jedi is awesome and epic and then it's just never talked about again, which makes no sense. Um, so I think we we could have had a scene, again, cut out pretty much all of Kajimi because it's so lame. <laughs> um, and Kajimi is just as slow in Rise of Skywalker as Cantobite to me in Last Jedi. Um, but I will say Cantobite has a better purpose than Kajimi. Um, but, you know, you cut out some of that and then you just give us one scene where you see Lando out there broadcasting Luke's message or like Luke, what Luke did to the galaxy, you know, just something um, that really shows that they're breaking the cycle mainly because they're uniting the commonality of humanity against yeah. tyranny, because um, that's what the first order, the Sith eternal, that's what they represent. They represent tyranny. So how do you mobilize that? You you just get people together. Um, so again, I think Rise of Skywalker in in a very cheap way answers that question, but it doesn't give it enough of a pana. It doesn't give it enough uh, follow through. Hmm. Fair, you know, fair. And again, that they, 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 they give us the, the little nibbles at a lot of these things because they're so focused on the story between Ray and Kylo mm-hmm. while at the same time trying to, you know, wrap all this up. You know, I do get the sense, though, at the end of this, that there's nothing major in terms of conflict on the horizon for the galaxy for a while. Yeah. You know, you do have that sense at the end. Like, this is, there will be an extended period of peace here now. Yeah. So, um, how long that lasts, you know, depends on what Petty Despot decides they want to try and accumulate power again and, you know, in the future, you know. Will Ray be a part of taking that down again? Maybe. Or maybe it'll be whoever she trains. You know, who knows how long it'll be. But, yeah. Uh, so, uh, next we'll be bringing the gangsters under control, and that's a lot smaller of a story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> taking yeah. down the hut cartels. Right. right. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I in in sort of conclusion here, this movie works a lot better for me than it did a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I thoroughly enjoy it for the most part. Um, my my quibbles with it are, you know, a lot based around the idea that uh, they had too much to do in one movie um, and couldn't adequately give the time 
to do everything that they wanted to do or needed to do. Uh, and the fact that the impetus to go to Kajimi was just so weird and kind of lame. Um, I like what happens on Kajimi. I like the look of it and, you know, meeting Babu Frick and Zori Bliss and getting the John Williams cameo and all that fun stuff. I, I like Kajimi as a place and sort of as a setting for what happens there. But the, the why we're going there is just kind of, eh. <laughs> but other than that, this movie is a lot of fun for me and yeah. I will, I will always say that. So yeah, um, it's a very, it's, it's good. It's very good to me. Yeah. So. And I, and I, I think that's, you know, a year out, that's kind of where I stand with it is, um, I think it's okay to sometimes ignore the importance of canon, you know, oh, well, this is the final chapter of the canon story. You know, a year later, I still don't think it's an adequate conclusion, but I still think that this is a freaking awesome, fun, and incredibly deep movie. Yeah. Um, and, and it feels, it feels like a Star Wars movie. I have fun with it like a Star Wars movie. I feel so connected to a character in a way that I don't in a lot of other Star Wars movies. Um, and that's why I love it. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I, I still have my issues with it. I still think there are things about it that make it fall a little bit short. Um, but most, but most of those things are kind of these big things that I can't really fix. So it's like, do mm -hmm. I want to just bemoan those points over and over again? Or do I just want to love the story that I have? And, and, I much rather, I, I love the story that we have. And that's exactly how I've come to deal with last Jedi. Like three years ago, I really didn't like that movie. <laughs> the first, first few times I saw, I really didn't care for it. Um, but now, you know, three years removed, uh, there are so many things in that movie I think are just so brilliant that those are what I focus on. Again, there are things that I still think don't work. Um, that's true of almost every star Wars movie. There's something in every star Wars movie that I think is a bit silly. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, my second favorite Star Wars movie of all time is Attack of the Clones, and people, you know, could very accurately say that is the most flawed of the prequel movies. You know, it it very well could be, but yeah. I still love it. Yeah, I still love it, and you know, you sometimes you choose your battles with these things. You know what? You know what will I choose to? You know, really step my foot in and say, ah, this doesn't work and this is bad or whatever. And, or, and what will you just say? All right. I accept that that's where I don't like it, but here's what I do like, you know? And, and that I think is something that, you know, especially Twitter and, you know, social media could learn to use, um, in, in light of a lot of these things. So, uh, Part of why I don't do a lot on those places. Um, <laughs> be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah. So you, you guys keep being stupid on there. You're going to keep me away. So uh, you guys have fun sniping at each other. Um, <laughs> and I'll just be over here, you know, enjoying my, my you know, <laughs> sugary breakfast cereal Grogu watching these movies over and over again. So... Um, <laughs> yeah um well there you go i mean there's there's obviously a lot more about rise of Skywalker we talk about i feel like we we, yeah. we crammed a lot into this episode with with hitting news plus mandalorian plus this 
So mm-hmm. I feel a bit convoluted, like we were all over the place myself. Um, but obviously appropriate for yep. this movie. So. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so like we said at the top of the episode, next week we are going to to be back with a uh, just kind of a, a Christmas special where uh, we're going to look at some of the themes of Star Wars that we feel like are good Christmas themes. And of course, just tell some Christmas Star Wars memory stories. And we, again, want your stories on there. So please, please send them to us. Um, And then the week after Christmas, we'll be back to talk about the entirety of season two of Mandalorian Um, (laughs) and, and then start diving into just very focused episodes again so that we're not all over the place. Cause sometimes I feel like, I've, I've loved doing the Mando watch, but I feel like we're talking so much that it's hard to really sink my teeth into any one thing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so please everyone, uh, you know, obviously you can, you can find us on social media, but for next week, send in your star Wars Christmas stories to Wampus Lair podcast at gmail.com. We would really, really, really appreciate that uh, because we want to feature you uh next week so but carl um if people want to weigh in on on anything else that we've discussed or send any other star wars thoughts our way where can they do that sir uh well we are um limitedly active but we are on uh twitter at wampas lair on facebook at wampas lair podcast we're on instagram where i love playing around at uh the underscore wampas lair and like jason said send us an email with your christmas memories at wampas lair podcast at gmail.com anything else you got before we close down this episode that is all my friend excellent well thank you everyone so much for listening to episode 407 of the wampas lair podcast believers and remembering the rise of skywalker For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next week here in the Wampa's Lair. Wampa's Lair.